folks, this is Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. And today I have with me Tommy and Taylor, co-founders of the PsyOptions Protocol. Awesome to have you guys. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. Cool. So um, what's, what's the origin story? How did you guys get into crypto? And what made you build PsyOptions? Uh, crypto, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, we were, I remember watching the Ethereum ICO, just being a broke college student, but, you know, felt we were too broke to actually throw anything into it. And, you know, that, that's a big regret, but that kind of shaped up how we got into Solana later on. Um, really dove deep into everything back in 2017, right before the summer hype and, and then in the summer hype. Um, tried developing a little bit on Ethereum, doing some solidity development uh, in the spare time. But never, I never jumped full-time into it until uh, PsyOptions. Taylor has a little bit of a different history with crypto. Yeah, I've actually been full-time in crypto since late 2017. After Tom and I shut down a, a previous business we started in school, you know, we were looking for for different things to do. And I knew crypto was, you know, kind of, you know, had a lot of hype in 2017. I was like, all right, this this is definitely an industry I could see myself being a part of. And eventually took a job at, at Blockfolio and then as well as doing some some freelance solidity development and then been full-time ever since. How did you guys meet? What was like the genesis for you guys to go build side options? <laughs> well, Taylor and I are twins, so we, we met a long, long time ago. <laughs> uh, we've always been hacking on ideas and stuff. And I mean, I guess what really Taylor kind of had his eye on Solana from 2018, right, Taylor? Yeah, pretty pretty early on. Uh, I remember MultiCoin writing about it. I was like, oh, this is actually a really sweet architecture. Solves a lot of problems that we saw on Ethereum and kept following before, you know, before mainnet beta was launched. Yeah. And so we, I mean, have been tinkering around, created like a GitHub organization last summer, the same thing, like we're, the same one we're using now and just started like reading the documentation and then had a few projects we tried in the fall that never really took off. And then in October, we were surfing with Tristan from FTX and he was just talking about Serum and everything that they were working on. So we kind of knew what was in the pipeline and wanted to just have that in the back of our mind. Um, we did the first hackathon, didn't place, built like a trusted third-party Oracle. And then after that, had an issue with TradFi, trying to get API access to automate a options trading strategy. And that was kind of what like kicked it off. Of We were fresh off that first hackathon, uh, wanted a fresh idea, kind of had our feet wet in Solana, and it was like, Taylor, what if we just built options into the blockchain? We can get this API access built in. We have the order book already there. There's some basic infrastructure. And that was kind of like the genesis. That's awesome. You know, like ac- limited access to data was like one of the reasons I started building this thing. Because I used to, you know, try to build stupid deep learning models on um, interactive brokers. And you never have access to data it's always like even the quality is really suspect. You just yeah. don't really know that this is where things got executed, like or did they just copy and paste stuff from a database with a bunch of errors? Yep. <laughs> it's terrible. If you want good data quality, you have to pay up for it, right? Like, I mean, that's why Bloomberg Terminal is like what twenty twenty five k a month. And if you're just a you know just a hobbyist or just trying stuff out, like it's just not feasible to to pay that much. Yeah. This is like, to me, I think part of the beauty of the space right now is that you can kind of build up a lot of what finance is with just a bunch of hobbyists. It's kind of like Linux, you know, Linux in the 90s, you're you're competing with Microsoft, <laughs> billions of dollars of, of, of engineers building stuff, but it's just a bunch of people over the weekend can compete. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's wild. I think that's one of the best parts. You know, all that, all that coordination. So what are the challenges? You guys are one of the earliest, uh, I would say, 
um, teams working on Solana? How, what have you guys seen? Or what were like the real painful points? What got better? What still sucks? Oh, man. All right. The, uh, I mean, <laughs> we, the, this first Solana season hackathon, the one that we, we won, we, you know, we wrote everything in Solana native. Uh, I remember pinging Armani back in February saying, hey, I hear you're working on some framework. Like, what, can I poke around and, and checking out the repository? But it wasn't anywhere near complete or, I mean, I didn't dive in enough to use it for the hackathon. So now I rewrote the entire uh, American option protocol in Anchor, and it took me very little time to actually write that. So, like, it has the development life cycle and just like ease of getting up to speed is has improved ridiculously. Yeah, and documentation has improved too. That's awesome. What is <laughs> what is Anchor doing for you guys that native Rust isn't? I mean, it's helped. It's helped simplify our integration tests. So, like, that's one thing that we try to do when we first started was we wrote our own like integration testing um, framework in Rust. I guess I wouldn't even call it a framework. It was it was pretty pretty rough. But you know, Anchor kind of takes care of that. You're just writing your tests in JavaScript. It's pretty pretty easy to get up and running. And then also handling a lot of different edge cases that you wouldn't have to think about. Right, checking. Well, you know, checking account, you know, account addresses and other things just to bring safety in and kind of removes a lot of those headaches that if you're just getting started and trying to hack something together, you're not really going to be thinking about. Deserializing accounts. I mean, like token accounts and things like that, right? You just have your accounts like structure passing that into the context and it deserializes all that. I mean, the amount of like little issues we had just because like, oh, we misordered one thing in the array because when we were refactoring like the accounts array and it's like what the hell is going on and then you're like trying to debug and add messages and stuff like because you're just like oh man like what what is like and then it all turns out to be you know a typo or you fat fingered moving one line up or and it was so like the the account structure and, and dealing with that is just like incredibly easy you don't have to deserialize anything yourself well anything like with the, that has a token you know, SPL token program or even some of the DEX infrastructure. And it makes like cross-program invocations a lot easier. I've been working with some teams for this like hackathon and wrote a bunch of like cross-program invocation examples for these teams to get up and running with Psy options pretty quickly. And it was just seamless for them to use our data structures and serialize and deserialize because, you know, as long as we're all using the same framework, it it works. Yeah, this was like my decision, so you can blame me, but I really didn't want to build a shitty framework. And until people started building on Solana, it's really hard to know what do they need. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I think it would have been worse if we built a bunch of code that like nobody could like build with. Because it would have been incomplete and we yeah. I, I'm gonna say it takes a lot of discipline to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Versus laziness. <laughs> I mean it, it it makes sense to offload it onto like the, the actual DAP developers, right? It's a different beast when you're programming the underlying system versus like the actual just salon runtime program. So I, it, it makes a lot of sense um, kind of how Anchor came about and who really is leading it. Can you guys tell me what uh, what worked really well or like what, what features or anything like for any other devs that when they're coming into building on Solana, what, what stuff is actually feels like a superpower? Well, one, one thing that's improved a ton is the um, like SPL 
token program and how you manage the the you know token accounts and whatnot. Like that's definitely something that a lot of the new developers on Solana don't have to deal with. But back then we were building into our UI the ability to have multiple accounts for the same SPL token and you know it was super frustrating and whatnot. So you know using those associated token accounts and other kind of I guess I guess you could call them like wrapper programs or things like that that just improve the UX significantly. Understanding those uh, and like kind of why they're there is pretty important when someone's getting started. I think like taking it a step further too of like how does the associated token program work and what's really under the hood is like the program derived address. I put together some documentation for like people starting to onboard to Psy options or related protocols. And I'm like, you need to read up all these Twitter threads, these, you know, documentations on PDAs. And cause there's just so many things you can do with a PDA. That's very unique, right? You can kind of get a, a, a mapping um, just to accounts. You can use, you can create like a unique um, constraint, right? So for Psy options, there should never be right now. There's no reason to have more than one of the same option, you know, and the fungibility of those options are based on the expiration date, the strike price, the the asset pair. And so we just have a, a PDA that is seated with those parameters and it kind of, it creates this unique constraint. Oh, that's cool. So you encode the constraints as basically hash it into the, the yep. address, the PDA. Exactly. And the taker, then has to satisfy those constraints to be able to take that trade? No, not not on the trade level, just on the general like structure for creating like the option. It's like, okay, we if you want to spin up a, a BTC seven seventy thousand, you know, USDC strike for the you know October 29th expiration, just that structure that creates that uh, the because that structure is kind of the core structure of Psy Options, the Psy American program. And that's what then uh, controls the option token mint and writer token mint and, and um, you know, how you dole out those, those option tokens. And so it's just like there can never be more than one of those um, specific to those constraints. So it's, you know, separated from the trading concern. Got it. Yeah, I think you were thinking of your your stateless escrow, right? I thought that was a that was a pretty yeah. cool proof of concept. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure that you guys already built, you know, like it, I didn't I think this idea has been around uh, in crypto for a while. Um so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys use it too. But I, lo- I like that idea that because you don't want to generate like infinite number of these markets, right? If everybody enters the same data, then it's going to spit out the same BTC, like, you know, month increment, whatever, like May 2021 option or whatever you want. Yeah. And like we, we've seen it too. Like it's really useful to have these deterministic ways to like look up an account address. So it's like, look, I can just check if this option market already exists by using these parameters, like these, the Psy options market exists. And we also ran into like some issues that we had to hack together, like on the client side, because Serum doesn't have these kinds of constraints. Um, and so you can, you, an adversary could come in and spin up multiple uh, Serum markets for the same asset pair. And then when you're pulling that data from the chain on the client, it's like, well, which one is your UI using? Which one are these automated traders using? All that kind of stuff. How do you sync them up? And so that was like a pain point and we had to like whip together a package. But now with like Serum's permission markets and some other stuff, we can now use like PDAs to, to say this is deterministically how the UI is going to, you know, determine the market. Here's how everyone else should do it. These are the seeds. Um, and, the, and then um, it kind of keeps everyone in line in a more decentralized way rather than having to have some NPM package with metadata and, and it's painful to maintain. Got it. That's cool. 
what is uh what actually runs the market? Is it like a this a serum Q, like a serum V V two or V three Q? Serum V three right now for the Americans. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that's super cool. <laughs> uh, how was that integration? Was that is that like blood, sweat, and tears still, or or the tooling itself around Serum getting better? It's getting better. Uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, but it was definitely blood, sweat, <laughs> and tears. I think that was. I think that's what took us the longest part in the original hackathon that we won was was doing the Serum integration, and and we weren't even doing any, uh, you know, cross program invocations to Serum at that point. It was literally just client side integration and that was really difficult you know no documentation got to read through the source code i think we even found some bugs in in the in their typescript package and had to like patch it ourselves so yeah definitely blood sweat and tears there it's still like there's still room for improvement i'm like dropping lists every time as like hackathon participants start like asking or like users or complaining about settling funds i'm just like got a constant stream of like hey we should document this and add a flow chart for that it's like because uh, you know, like it's the, all the the customer service is kind of offloaded to the people using the serum stuff. So it's like we kind of get that inflow of like feedback from users and other developers building on top. Yeah, people don't realize how strapped every team is. I agree. It's literally like three, four engineers at ba- at best. Like <laughs> no no customer service, no nothing. Just pure pure software, open source software. It's not like when you look at a market cap of something, you think there's like a equivalent to market cap, you know, S and P five hundred company with thirty thousand engineers, just all like cranking it away. Um, thank God it's not a, a, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got its ups and downs. It's you know, at least you can move fast. It's not a bureaucratic process, but at the same time, you know, yeah, customers customer support definitely dwindles, and I think seventy percent of people are probably testing in production. So people, you know, the end users are just going to have to deal with that and, and understand that's just the way things are done in crypto right now. What do you guys um, need? Uh, I guess, like, how close are you guys to launch and what are, what are, like, the next blockers? So we actually are on mainnet trading uh, with BTC and ETH markets right now. Um, we have been live since the end of August just with BTC and ETH for the September strike. Then we upgraded to a V2 of our American protocol with uh, Serum permission markets, so we can eventually close those markets, and so that gives us the ability to open a bunch more. Um, and so, yeah, so we're live with those. We're working with a couple other partners to get some soul markets up pretty soon. So, you know, we'll, we'll probably announce that here. Awesome. What What have you guys seen in terms of like adoption and like how are people using it? And has anyone surprised you with like what they're doing? Uh, I, I wouldn't, it's, it's tough right now from the retail side using our user interface. I think what the biggest thing that I'm excited, I mean, there's been a lot of great feedback, right? Options are not an easy instrument to use. Um, managing your own positions is tough. And so we've gotten a lot of great feedback from the community and it's kind of shaping what some of these projects that are working on during this hackathon. I think that's what's most interesting and surprising is these teams that are building on top. And, you know, they're not user interfaces. These are protocols that are going to be managing um, certain strategies and, you know, rolling positions for users. And so you can kind of have this more passive product. Like, you know, it's, it's like a ribbon finance to the basic ones where it's just selling covered calls and secured puts or things like that. But there's a lot of plans. I don't want to leak their alpha, but a lot of plans for additional products where it's more just kind of set it and forget it. And it has, you know, certain properties um, detailed out to 
hedge for various things, give you a certain direction on volatility and just, it'll make these, all these products, you know, so much more user-friendly for retail, but also big institutions that are looking to hedge existing exposure. That sounds like you guys are kind of building more of like infra level for options. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, we chalk up the, the V1 American that we built as, you know, just a primitive and as decentralized as possible, right? It, it doesn't rely on oracles. It doesn't need pricing information. So it's, you know, the only dependency is the Solana runtime and, and SPL token program. I guess now Serum with the permission markets, but the original one had only SPL token as dependency. Yeah. I mean, there's like, so there's like capital inefficiency with the American style because, you know, you can exercise at any time up until the expiration. So um, we're about to hopefully announce pretty soon, like we have a, a European that we've been working or we've architected and we're going to break ground on that and we'll crank it out pretty quickly. That will have a little bit more dependencies, but it'll be more capital efficient because it'll be auto exercised and uh, we'll have a margining system built into it. And the American will continue on because we're going to do, we're going to build I like to call it like Carta for DeFi, but just a place where people, we whipped out a vesting contract the other week and we'll be able to show people their tokens that are vesting, their options that are vesting, the ones that have currently vested and the options all in their portfolio and whether they should exercise them or not. It'd be less like trading based and more just like an interface for, you know, managing your portfolio of like vesting stuff and options. So that's awesome. Wow. How many engineers do you guys have? <laughs> uh we actually just hired another front end guy today so we have we're two full-time front ends uh and when we hired another protocol to developer so we're two full-time protocol developers then we have a community guy and a <laughs> marketing so... guy and then a couple part-time and open source contributors um, that's so small i mean like <laughs> that's awesome i i feel like this is like the biggest thing in, in crypto is that how fast small teams can ship really sophisticated products yeah, I think the, as I've learned, the hardest thing nowadays or right now is like, it's not the programming, it's the architecting the system to fit the runtime and, you know, developing the instruction set. And once you kind of wrap your head around like how the whole, that whole system works and you have your instruction set, like writing the actual code is not that hard. If you actually take the time to just like think and focus on like, and, and you have to have the knowledge and experience to like, understand that it's pretty easy to start architecting a bunch of stuff and, and delegating and managing a little bit more. The thing I will say on that though, is that if, especially the runtime changes here and there, but you know, not the changes aren't that drastic, but when you're using dependencies like serum, pith, whatnot, you know, those change a ton. And so you're seeing a ton of changes on serum. So one week you might've architected something for serum V3. Sounds great. All of a sudden, Serum updates to some new thing, and you have to, you know, that might change, you know, the optimal architecture for it. So you kind of have to be nimble um, in order to to just go with the flow as as different protocols update and as as new versions come out, and new architectures are, are viable. It's weird to think of like immutable code, but like still having dependencies. But something with Serum, you're so dependent on liquidity in those markets that if they move to V4. You kind of have to update because you can't point to uh, to an empty market. Yeah, we bring a lot of the liquidity ourselves. Right, where these are brand new markets that we spin up. It's not as much of a pain point. It's more just like announcing and coordinating. But it's more of like the you know the European protocol and architecture it depends on a lot of the stuff. Like it doesn't depend heavily on the SPL token. Contracts aren't represented as SPLs, and so it's a uh, you know it depends on this new architecture that they just announced that Bonfita has been working on. 
So it's just like interesting to you have to keep up to speed with like what exists in the ecosystem. So you can constantly be like, is there an improvement? Can we squeeze something out of this? Is the European option, are you also planning for it to be like Oracle free or no Oracle? No, we'll rely on an Oracle just for like the exercise. Um, we're, I, I think I'll, we're wrapping up the architecture and I'll probably just, we're going to develop this one like totally open source from the scratch. I just put up the, the boilerplate repository and it's open source. We're going to open source the, or at least make public the architecture so everyone can like read and comment on it while we're just like cranking it out in the next like week and a half. So like there's an Oracle dependency just on one instruction just to like actually lock in the index price um, for like that would be for the expiration. But we don't see it being too risky of a dependency considering it's not an instruction that has a lot going on. So we can do a lot of like checks. We could pull two different Oracles, you know, and, and kind of reduce the uh, potential pitfalls there. Yeah, this is um this is a hard problem too. When an option is exercised, it's still going to, hit like the Sierra market to actually like exercise the price? No. So just on the base layer of the Europeans, it's just going to, I mean, essentially the architecture is locking in the price and then users basically have to settle up like the positions in collateral themselves. I mean, the best way to describe this one is like Deribit on chain. It's really just like P&L, um, not the full underlying. Okay. So you can actually settle in any collateral, right? You could be, you could have an option on soul, but settle in like wrapped ETH or whatever. Uh, well, this one, it's actually going to be, well, it's going to settle in the, the currency that it's trading. So like BTC, it's going to kind of have this siloed market and account that holds like all the BTC and, and manages the entire portfolio, like margining for like someone's BTC options. And so it kind of has this own realm of just, this is the BTC world. And everything settles in BTC, everything's traded in BTC, and like premiums are even in BTC. But then it just uses the, the USD index price to actually like settle up on the strike. Um, and then Seoul would have its own world, right, with its own portfolio margin system. So they're not cross-margined between all those at the moment. Got it. Yeah. Is cross-margining something you guys are also thinking about? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, we want to just crank this out and ship fast because it's improves from like the existing um, architecture for when it comes to a trading perspective. And then we'll uh, kind of discuss a more improved cross-margining system. Do you think that there's like a gap still in like this idea that I think what's popular on um, DeFi or like Ethereum is like liquidity mining? And like, I just want to put my tokens and get yield. And is there a gap between that and options trading and like, central limit order books i think there's a knowledge gap right it it takes if you're dealing with you know the closer you are to dealing with the primitives the more knowledge you need to have right like the more hands-on you have to be in managing your positions and whatnot so you know i think that reduces you know the the addressable market or the end users that are willing to participate and so that's why you have people building programs and, and tooling on top to, to manage the position so it can be more passive. Because I think that's that's one of the biggest things that drove a ton of people to DeFi is the, you know, passive, the passive yield, you know, all the token incentive programs and whatnot. So I do I do think that that there's a bit of a gap, but you know, it's slowly being closed. And the more passive it can be, the more you know, non-crypto people or even crypto native people, but the less financially sophisticated, you could say, will come in and, and, and utilize DeFi. So you guys imagine that, or there's probably somebody already building this where I have like my token, I get, I'm an LP, which is under the actual thing behind that position is, 
you know, a covered call or like some other fancy strategy like iron condors or whatever, right? Yeah, so that's a uh, that's what uh, there's a couple teams from the hackathon building that right now. Actually. That's awesome. That's what I'm really excited about because like that's what we've seen is like there's just not much. I mean, there's there's decent order flow. I, I don't haven't looked at the volumes because we're just kind of like very focused on product. We kind of know what the low hanging fruit is, so we're not kind of focusing on the vanity metrics at the moment and not really talking about the you know TVL and whatnot. But it'll just increase order flow because these people can just get passive yield from like covered call products or they can hedge certain positions um, just by depositing tokens. And it's all going to be managing these underlying options and straddles and things like that. How long does it take to go from, let's say I wanted to build an iron condor or something like that um, as a strategy? Like, a, can I do that? Like, are, do you guys have examples already, reference implementations for things like that? Are you talking as a protocol or as just a user using the like a client? As like a here's my DAP, right? LP like I'll take tokens from LPs and then automatically generate the positions and, and psi options. The hard part actually isn't the generating the initial positions. The hard part is handling how they want to roll if you're trying to do it over time, right? Where they just can keep that open. So like the generating the positions is super easy. Placing the orders, we have examples like CPI examples in the repository for, you know, minting options, exercising, uh, placing an order, opening a a serum, you know, open orders account, all that kind of stuff. Um, Just kind of been cranking out examples of people as people ask for them. And then... It's really, you know, it's on to those teams to handle that, like the tough, that really tough part of like, how should we roll? You know, there's certain concerns in there for manipulation. There's certain concerns like for front running. There's certain concerns for eating through the order book and and having to build your own like TWAP like into it and stuff like that. So Yeah, man, you guys are taking on some really tough challenges. Um, that's cool. I, this is something that I like wanted to get good at trading, like trading options and like deep learning into like these things, but I could uh, never got it to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a full time job. You have like, I mean, that's that's why we we try to focus on the primitive and, and lower layers and, you know, try to get that right. So then other teams can focus, you know, if they're, you know, much more financially savvy or, you know, have, you know, better trading backgrounds can can handle that. Right. Like it's it's a full-time job to be a trader, to, to come up with those models, um, to, to build those positions and roll them. You know, it, it takes a long time and that you got, you constantly have to be updating them too. How long did you guys trade options before? Not much. We're, we're just, we're just retail traders. I mean, I, I interned at an investment bank once a, lo- a while back, but, uh, you know, to the extent of my full-time finance career, that, that was about it. Um, and then, you know, we, we would trade options just, here and there, but, but nothing serious. And then, I mean, when we wanted to automate that options trading strategy, you know, that, that would have been probably the first automated system we would have built. I don't think we built an automated options trading strategy before that. Yeah. I would say we relate best with like the retail speculative YOLO option users rather than like very sophisticated options traders. But, you know, it's, it's been nice kind of like building this and winning that hackathon and getting some attention because then those people kind of show up and we have, uh, you know, some really smart TradFi people who have been around crypto, some really smart TradFi people who have never been around crypto, um, kind of contributing to like the thought leadership of, of where we should go, what's kind of needed to get to certain, uh, 
structured products and things like that. Um, and that's been super helpful because we've been early in Solana and have the engineering, you know, capabilities and knowledge to, to work with them of uh, translating their vision into like a Solana architecture. And so we've just been helping as many teams as possible that like kind of have that background and can bring that knowledge. And then that's why we're just like, look, we'll help you as much as you can. Cause you're going to help us like, you know, answer some of these questions that we don't know. So it's been, it's been good to kind of fill out the team and, and the surrounding circles with that. Do you think that DeFi is something that like, I always think of it as growing kind of faster than, than trade fire versus replacing it. Do you think like these products are good enough to like compete with traditional finance or are we just going to see more stuff being built on open finance because it's easier? Like I don't have to go talk to like a CME to launch an option for my in-game bullets for my shooter game or something like that. <laughs> I think it will be just the fact that like it's, it's open and anyone can do it. There's, you know, kind of looking at the architecture here and, and designing like an ideal architecture for the most like capital efficient system. It's just like not really like you could do it in C5 so much easier than you can do it in D5. Like, I don't even know if it's truly possible. We're kind of still just on the back burner trying to figure out like how you could, you know, portfolio margin everything. Right. I think a lot of, a lot of teams that we've talked to are all thinking about that in the back burners. Like how do we margin against everything? So I, I think it's definitely just like it's moving faster. I think they will rival CFI these some of the like a lot of these products, but I think they're still going to be both working hand in hand. Yeah, I think both have their ups and downs. All right, the, the the speed that DeFi innovates because of the open source nature and you know things can be represented and and it's all digitally native. Um, you know, it just makes the, the pace of innovation faster. Uh, also makes like the, you know, what you can build much faster, right? Like CFI, you're beholden to, you know, not that you're not beholden to regulation in DeFi, but CFI, you know, there's a lot more red tape. Uh, you know, you got to jump through hoops in order to be able to launch a market or, you know, like you can't, you can't just launch your own equities exchange. Like it takes tons of money and resources and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, it kind of stifles innovation in that respect. So I think even if DeFi can't become as capital efficient as CeFi, you're still going to have more innovative products, more flexibility in what you can do with your assets that at the end of the day, you might not need that. You might not need that, um, you know, capital efficient, high, you know, super fast, you know, low latency systems to do what you want to do with your assets. So, you know, I, I think there's a place for both. Um, and I think, you know, DeFi is just going to continue to innovate and, and, you know, outpace growth in terms of TradFi. Our goal is to get the, the, that latency to be as low as, <laughs> as, as physics allow and then then we're competitive. <laughs> That's why we're Let's here. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Won't rust until we're building a neutrino emitter detector. <laughs> I, I just think like like with gaming especially, the first massive multiplayer games instantly within six months had a market for the digital items there. As soon as you get something like Star Atlas or equivalent like you know World of Warcraft that's decentralized with all these assets on chain, I think the idea of like options as a service, people are just gonna, well, I got, you know, whatever. Like <laughs> I got more gold, right? That people want to use because this game is hot right now. It's definitely going to 
people are going to def- definitely spin up those markets. It's just going to happen. Hundred percent. I mean, we've been we've been talking about game. I mean, we're gamers ourselves, and I mean, I haven't played a game since I really dove into Solana development 11, 12 months ago. <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping to get back to it once, like Star Atlas and Aurora and all those other you know kaiju cards. Everyone starts actually launching the gameplay. I'll, I'll jump back to gaming, but we've been thinking about it a lot and like what could be done with this like American primitive and that kind of got us into like talking to other teams and other games just to kind of see what's out there. And then like, I actually got connected with like Metaplex and built out a contract um, that they just announced for like, that's focused on gaming. And it all stemmed from like trying to think about like how these games, like everyone's so early and not really thinking about how these game assets are going to plug and play into like DeFi protocols and things like that. And there's still just like so much work and research that needs to be done and, and some, um, infrastructure that needs to be built for it all to work perfectly together. Yeah, I think the interoperability for gaming is is still like there's still going to be some rough edges there because it's harder to build standards across games. But I think once you know that's you know you'll have a few games come out and maybe they'll have transferability between games and whatnot. But it's going to take some time and some trial and error before we get to this, you know, on chain you know, metaverse where you can transfer assets between different, you know, game worlds and whatnot. But I, I do think that is, you know, going to be one of the the ultimate um, killer applications on blockchain. What are you guys excited about out of this hackathon? Oh, I mean, for me, it's really just the products, the, the stuff we've mentioned with the, the structured products, passive yield products, all that kind of stuff um, coming, like being built on top of side options. I mean, very heads down on like product and everything at the moment. So aside from the people that are pinging me, asking you for help, I don't really know what else is being built. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Likewise, I'm, I see NFTs being launched and then I'm like deep in the trenches you know, optim and optimizations. I guess that's good, right? Like, do you, <laughs> it, it means that uh, you know there's more more stuff to do than you have time, so you start actually going heads down and and working. But there's a lot. I mean, the, the roadmap with just these teams alone is like ridiculous. We have so many products that we want to like whip out on top, and you know, hoping to launch like the first few in, in the next week or two, and and then the framework's kind of there. It'll be a little bit easier. Well, it's just fun to see people building on on software that you've built. I'm sure I'm sure you and the rest of the Solana team get excited as new projects come out, new people innovate. And I think I think that's one of the more fun things to do is just sit and watch what people come up with cuz you can't come up with every idea yourself. So, might as well open source stuff and have community kind of run with it. For sure. What should we be looking out for? Like what do you guys have any uh, any announcements you want to leak? <laughs> Oh man, uh, soul options coming soon. Um, passive yield products that will make it extremely easy for people to get volatility exposure or um, you know generate yield. Like, the, and this is just like this is yield that's not going to go away, right? A lot of these pools are based on like rewards and APY is based on rewards and things that will dry up and aren't sustainable. But like the volatility, you know, is something that everyone is a little bit more sustainable in a sense i mean sure volatility will decrease over time but so these are like covered call strategies basically the first few are the most simple covered call and secured put strategies um but then there is going to be um a few other vaults uh coming out for uh, once these are launched then i'll focus on a few other vaults that have um different strategies i mean we eventually we started talking to some other teams like symmetry because we want to get a good crypto index because then we can create if we get liquid index options we can create a nice volatility index 
for certain baskets. So Whoa. that's on the horizon. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that's kind of, you need that like rolling and rebalancing and infrastructure. And that's kind of like what, you know, we've been working on the past few weeks um, or other teams have been working on. And then it's, you know, formulas for just managing an array of positions. What is your development process like? How do you guys go to like build, test and like ship? I mean, in terms of like, roadmap and how we determine what to work on it's pretty ad hoc um like things change up weekly bi-weekly uh but you know we try we try to run in in two week sprints at least just pick like okay what you know based on user feedback check github for issues um obviously anything that's blocking usage is number one priority and then it's all right what what do we want to see built what do our partner um you know partner teams need and how can we kind of get them going Oh, Tom, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, protocol development too. Like I'd sit and focus and start like drafting up like a full architecture doc with like the instruction sets and potential functions that are needed, kind of black box some stuff just to make it a little bit easier and then put it to do to dive in later. And then you kind of have this whole instruction set and a general outline and framework and you kind of know it's going to fit into the Solana runtime because you've you know uh, made sure that the constraints are handled. And then I dive into running a test-driven development process with Anchor, just doing full integration tests. You end up writing a lot more test code, but I just find it the confidence level is so much higher. You can refactor and upgrade versions, and you know you're, you're just so confident in your code um, when you kind of have all those tests. So, and then you can it cuts down the time from like DevNet testing, where everyone kind of just puts up a contract and then just relies on interacting and to test it. Um, especially when you're building a primitive, you kind of want to have all those cases handled. In your use case specifically with options, what kind of bugs are like the most worrisome? Is it like overflow or like actual like logic and economics? Probably logic and economics. I mean, overflows, like, I mean, the American protocol overflow is not an issue. Uh, not really. I mean, we do all the check math, of course, but like it's not not an issue. Maybe if we get some weird altcoins eventually trading, like then we'll have some some weird issues. But I'd really just say logic, economic attacks, things like that. When we get into like the capital efficient Europeans that has like the margining system built into the base layer and liquidation built in the base layer. And just like always thinking about like account management, right? You have that limitation of the number of accounts you can pass in and, and how to architect around that. So if Solana could change one thing, what would it be? <laughs> or, or anything. Or, or mm, things. Two yeah, things. Two things. Fixed, <laughs> Finite number account. <laughs> fix, fix, yeah. fix, fixed account. You know, fixed account lengths. Like if we could have dynamic, you know, make it dynamic oh, true, sized. Yeah. I think that would that would be great. The data, the length of the yeah, data. Yeah, yeah, okay. the account data. That's actually like I don't know if you guys saw, but like, believe re growing reallocation from the program itself for the account that it owns. I think that might be live already in one point eight. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I saw. I think I saw the PR ago. for that. Okay, but that's that's one thing that you know when people jump over from ETH to Solana, that's like probably the biggest gotcha that we're like, oh crap! Like I can't, I can't readjust or, or you know create a larger array, more mapping data, whatever. So that's one thing, and then also the number of accounts you can pass into to an instruction, right? In a Increasing that yeah. can kind of open up more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think one point eight handles a lot of these headaches, but. You still, when you kind of think, when you're trying to think like for the long term, just the limitations in general, like I'm assuming they're always going to be there, right? You know, like um, one on nine, the goal is to double the, the transaction size, basically. So the number of bytes that a transaction can maximum size. That means you can double, you know, the user data or encode more 
put more accounts in there. So there's always a limit because of the real-time nature of the system. Like you're not like submitting an arbitrary large transaction that then the block producer decides, okay, I'm going to pick this one. You're really like, how do I write to the block right now? <laughs> like and, and making sure that doesn't slow everything down is, is a challenge. But really cool, man. You guys are shipping like crazy. It's awesome. It, it blows my mind that you guys were a hackathon team that is now there's teams in the hackathon building on top of Psy options. <laughs> I love it. I've been doing like office hours like every Tuesday and Thursday, just like letting people come in and ask questions because it's just nice to see people building on top and we're going to do whatever we can to like, you know, help them out and keep them there. That's super cool. Man, really, really good to catch up with you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, was there anything you want to add for the for the listeners in the final kind of bit? Yeah, I would say, you know, check out uh, Psy Options to, to trade your, your BTC and ETH uh, right now. Soul coming soon. And then uh, we'll have we'll be announcing an under collateralized European protocol pretty shortly. Going to try and crank that out as quickly as possible. Yeah, and get in touch. You know, there's there's no shortage of projects that, that we can dream of. And I'm sure others are too, but happy to help any any team out that we can. Yeah, and if you're a protocol too, looking to do option liquidity mining with American style options, reward contributors with options or you know, use the PsyOptions vesting contract. Uh, we're trying to get that. I mean, the vesting contract's a unique one um, where you can kind of delay your vest. The The recipient can, has the option to delay their vest if the issuer grants it. So that way they can kind of keep punting the, the vesting and the potential taxable event. Not an accountant, so don't take that tax advice, right? Not financial advice. Not accounting advice, not financial advice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, no advice. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us.